بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا ما بعد we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept our coming here today and may ask we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us all students of the Quran for our lives we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to uh, benefit tremendously from the words of the Quran we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for protection from being deprived from benefiting from the words of the Quran due to our own uh, weaknesses and stakes we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to not allow our sins to create a barrier and a veil between ourselves and the Quran and make us from and not make us amongst those who the Quran says that we have created a veil between you and those who do not believe in the hereafter. And Allah says, Allah has put deafness into their heart, into their ears. So they're, they're in front of the Prophet, but there's a veil. In such a, it is such a difficult veil to see. It's hijab. Hijab itself means a veil. But this veil is masthura and it's hidden. You can't even see the veil. They don't even sense it. Their ears are deaf. Uh, even though they can hear everything but the Quran, they just it doesn't get into their heart. It doesn't make sense to them. So this is mentioned in the Quran. We seek refuge in Allah from becoming amongst those people. Amin Abul Alamin. So as we always say that we should turn to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala at the beginning of any dars and we say Allah allow me to benefit, allow the speaker to say that which is most uh, pertinent to me in my life and in the situation I'm going through. And inshallah, tabarak wa ta'ala, Allah Azza wa Jal will accept your prayers and my prayers and will inspire us to say that which is most beneficial for all of us. Last week, uh, we spoke about the, uh, Maryam alayhi salam's uh, respo- the response that she got from her community when she brought Isa alayhi salatu salam along um, with her. And Allah Azza wa Jal told her, not, you know, just tell people that I'm not going to answer. I've made a vow of fasting and of fasting of speech, and I'm not going to speak. So um, uh, let me not talk and let the ch- child speak. So they, uh, we talked about how certain types of accusations are not worth responding to, and um, how sometimes opening up our mouth to defend ourselves can cause bigger problems when you're dealing with people who just don't want to understand. And it might be better to just simply stay quiet and walk away from that situation. So here, she did that And she said I can't speak And then when she brought the child They said oh Maryam we can't believe you did something un- uh, uh, You've done something of unimaginable horror Talked about the fact that Having a child out of wedlock in that day and age Was something of the worst possible crime that anyone could do Not like where more than 50% of the population is born out of wedlock But at that time even any one person doing that It was regarded as something uh, you know, Unacceptable, unbelievable Especially, uh, and then on top of that, come with a child, right? So there was haya. That's why Surah Maryam, if you want to give one quick word and to say what letter, what word will define the surah, it will be haya. And that's what we're going to speak about as it was a the story of Maryam, radiallahu anha, wraps up. It's a story of haya. And as long as we've got haya in our life, in the lives of our children, our men and women and boys and girls, then there's khair, there's goodness. As soon as that haya leaves, then it's over. It's over. You know, call it quits. That's why the Prophet, that's why it's mentioned, When you lose modesty, then do whatever you want. That's it. We can help a society. We can help a person as long as they have a sense of bashfulness. As long as they have a sense of haya. When that sense of haya is gone, 
then we might as well stop talking and wasting our time. Because what's going to motivate you to do that? If you have no sense of, of, you know, of haya and bashfulness and modesty and that, you know, what, are people, what is my Lord going to say? What are my parents going to say? Right? That's the issue we're lacking today. Right? Whatever you tell people, it, they, they're not phased by that. What is your mom going to say? I don't care. What's your dad going to say? I don't care. What's your spouse going to say? I don't care. This is who I am. That's what today's married adults speak like that. Yeah, if she finds out, so what? If he finds out, so what? So then, you know what? <laughs> There's nothing we can do about this situation right now. Until you don't decide to get haya back into your life, I'm, I, I'm wasting my time. So this is the dangerous situation we find ourselves in. The, the extreme lack of haya within society. Where people um, had a concept before of adab. Uh, when a parent walks in, they'll stand up. When a parent calls, they'll stand up. Right? When a person's mother or father, in-laws, or anyone else for that matter, they had the haya of the elders. That's not there anymore. Right? A person will speak to elders the way he speaks. We don't, the, way, the previous people wouldn't even speak to their youngsters. Because again, there's no, the, the haya and adab are connected. It's like, yeah, what, no matter if people think, what are people going to say? They're going to think you're, you're, you're badi, you have a harsh tongue, you have no manners. It's okay. So where is this type of apathy coming from? It's something that feeds this type of apathy that I, it's, you know, hedonism, you worship yourself. Uh, you know, literally. Like how God, He, he says, لا يسألوا عما يفعل وهم يسألون Allah cannot be asked about what He does and everyone else is gonna get asked. That's God. That's Almighty. That's an attribute of being divine. That He cannot be questioned about what He does, why He does it. So what's happened today is youth and adults as well, are falling into this tartib. They're thinking that, you know what, I have a quality of divine within myself. I cannot be questioned by anyone. No one can ask me, why did you come home late? Right? Who? I'm, what do you mean? If you're living in this house, someone has a right to ask you, why are you coming at, you know, late? But you said, no, I, I, don't, I cannot be asked. Why, where were you coming from? No one can ask where I'm doing, what I'm doing, where I'm spending my money. Where is this coming from? That's only God. Okay, don't act like you're God, because you're not. But this... Arrogance that has crept in in today's society within people, and the uh, the worship of the self—that a person thinks that because I feel like it, and because I want to do it, no one should be able to come between me and my desire. No one. And the new uh, society that we live in today, la ilaha illallah—that's exactly what we're seeing. The whole gender issue, and uh, you know everything related to this whole concept. There's no other explanation besides, you know, I'm going to push the limits. I'm going to push the limits and you better stay quiet. You better not say anything. Because this is my life. So Maryam's story embodies this lady who is trying her level best beyond that to, to remain pure and to protect her chastity. And then when she's been given this miraculous baby, then wishing she could have died before this. So that people would not think ill about her. Because she cares about her reputation. Reputation is important. Right? She cares about her reputation. I don't want people to think that my parents did a bad job raising me. Where, where, where happened to that part in today's society? What happened about that part? That you know, I am a half of the Quran. My parents sent me to high school. My parents sent me to Islamic school. I need to have some common sense. That even if I feel like... I shared about this in the previous lectures about all of this. That you know, even if I feel like doing something, I'm not going to do it simply because I don't want Islam or my hif school or my madrasa or my parents, my grandparents to get a bad name, bad rep. There was that concept there, right? That people used to say, even divorce, let me add it in there. There was a whole concept, you know, we got to work it out. 
because I don't want to ruin the image of our family. I am not promoting some sort of, you know, abuse. I'm simply saying a 60% divorce rate or a 50% divorce rate cannot be acceptable. Right? It just can't be. There's something really grossly going wrong within our society. And it's just like a flip of a button. If I don't like it, okay, khalas, I'm out. No, it's not. Even if you feel like it, stop and say, how common is this? Is this something good? Is this something to be proud about within three days? Is this a competition after how many days you come back home after marriage? It seems like that's what we're going on right now, a competition. How long does it take you to get back home? Three days, three weeks, right? Uh, after marriage to get back home and say, I'm done. So the haya is everything, right? The haya will force you to say, this is hard, but I got to make it work. I got to make it work. Okay, let me figure something out. Let me put my, you know, let me put my mind to it. What is that? It's the haya. Okay? Haya is very powerful. That's what I'm saying. Inqibadun nafsi an fi'li shay'in makruh. When your self, when your inner self becomes constricted and decides not to do something which it regards unacceptable. You know, it's like you get disgusted. Your inner self gets disgusted from doing something because it says, this is not, it's going to be frowned upon by Allah, by the angels, by the Prophet, by my parents, by my society, and so forth. So that is something that needs to be created within ourselves. The opposite of that is what Samiri did in Musa Islam's story, right? Samiri in Musa Islam's story. He made that whole calf out of gold, right? The whole story there in Surah Taha. And um, when Musa Islam came back, he said, What, you, what have you done? Right, to, to, to a, a quick synopsis of the story When Musa salam went to uh, Torah To go get the, to receive the book And we went to Tur to receive Torah um, the, uh, the, uh, Here Samari hatched a plan And he said everyone Let's all bring our gold together That we had taken from the uh, Pharaoh's uh, you know, uh, nation Coptics Let's put it together A fire will come Harun salam instructed everyone To give this, this gold away Jewelry away and A fire will come and burn it that's how it used to happen in previous nations. They would make sacrifices for God. Like you sacrifice the Udhiyya Qurbani, you can eat from it. A fire would come and would, would burn it and that would be the sign of your Qurbani and your Udhiyya and sacrifice being accepted. So when they put the gold together, they said put it all in this one big pot and a fire will come. Uh, Samiri comes in and he says, uh, you know, I will, but you have to first make dua that Allah accepts what's in my heart. I said, okay. So he's, he thought he's going to put his gold inside. But instead of putting gold, he put... Rasul. He put some dust in his, that he had in his hand. What was this dust? This was dust that he had captured from under the hooves of the horse of Jibril. So he had seen Jibril, there's a long beautiful story there as well. But he had, he, he was, he had seen Jibril's horse when he had come to feed him long ago. And he had, he had seen him and he would see that whenever his horse is, wherever his horse steps, that area becomes lush and green. So he thought that, okay, this is something special over here. This is like a, a rejuvenating a, you know, soil that uh, it brings dead earth back to life. So he had grabbed it and he kept it with him with this intention that one day I'm going to do something with it. So now is the time. He said, make dua, Allah accepts whatever is in my heart. And then he threw that dust inside the gold with the rest of the people's gold. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala willed that this calf, now this golden calf that came out started making noise. Uh, either it actually came back to life. How did it come back? How did it come to life? Not come back to life. It came to life. A shaitan came inside there. And the shaitan started making noises like of a calf. Straightforward. Very easy for a shaitan to do that. 
So people started actually thinking that this is, this is a real living calf. And they said, oh my God, this is our God and this is Musa's God. He forgot. Musa went over there to go get the book of the year. God is over here. Or they designed it such that there was a hole from, from different sides of the, this golden calf. And when the wind passed through it, it gave kind of a whistling sound. Whatever the case it was, people fell for it. Musa comes back scratching his head like you know I would say like, why did you do this? what was the purpose of all of this nonsense that you did? why? and he had one answer he said which I translate as I just felt like it I just felt like it he had no real reason he just said my nafs told me to do it so I did it why whenever you today you ask someone why are you doing what you're doing? that's the same answer they, they give I just feel like doing it I don't have a real reason is have you done some you know, ROI? Have you calculated pros and cons? Have you figured out like why? And then give me your illogical explanation why you want to do that. They don't have a logical explanation. It's simply because I just feel like it. Someone wants to leave madrasa. Why you want to leave madrasa? Nothing. Give you a useless room. Someone wants to leave the deen. Why? Nothing. Someone wants to, you know, you wants to commit haram. You ask them why? Again, no real solid reasons. They just don't, they don't have anything pr- pr- proper to present. That is the life opposite of hayat. That's a life opposite of iman. Is when a person leads, so he makes his inner self, his ego, his god. And that's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Have you seen the one who has made his inner self as his god? Right? This is what Allah is saying. So this is straight from the Quran. Have you seen the individual who has made his self, his ego, his god? My dear brothers and sisters, if we ever find ourselves saying things like this, I just feel like it. Just cause I want to do it These are all the words That the likes of Samiri And those who are doomed to hell Say stuff like this Those who literally Have ascribed partners with Allah And what that, what's the name of that partner? Nafs The inner self The lower self Right Their base desires They have elevated the base desires To, to that of, of God Almighty So when people That's what we're seeing around us today All of this uh, the, the movement from the left this is what it is at which the Muslims are very with open arms accepting and, um, and, and, and changing is a movement towards following the nafs it's very dangerous very dangerous right? how the enemy creeps in uh, without us even realizing it so reciting Maryam reciting Surah Maryam with contemplation the way we're doing right now is one inshallah beautiful way to bring back haya into our homes to bring back haya into our families. If you know someone who is, like we talked about the various Dajjali fitan, and I told you that Surah Al-Kahf is something that should be recited every day. First 10 and last 10 verses at the very least, if not the entire surah every day. This could possibly, Allah knows best, this could possibly be a solution for someone who is suffering these type of um, desires or doubts about their sexuality. Right? Which is coming from Where is it stemming from? An absence of haya If their loved one Their daughter or their son Is having some identity issues right? Or they themselves are suffering from that And they find themselves Really far away From the true way of Islam Then reciting Surah Maryam May be of benefit Insha'Allah uh, right? With this intention that Ya Allah Bring the haya of Maryam anha, Into my life and this is not only for girls and daughters, which is a very big problem we have right now, but it's also for boys as well. You know, whoever it may be. That if we have haya in our lives, this will inshallah help us go overcome all of these challenges. So they told her, how is it that you come from a good family and yet you are like this? 
Because then we talked about extensively about the effect of tarbiyah of parents upon children. So let's move on. He said, فَأَشَارَتْ إِلَيْهِ she pointed, to him, she pointed them to him. Meaning to Isa, who is in the cradle. So قَالُوا They said, How shall we speak to the one who is yet in the cradle? So they thought that this is, you're making fun of us. You think, you know, you, you think that this is a joke? We're asking you, how did you bring this, how, did you, how dare you commit this type of sin? You see, you know ma'roof and munkar, dear brothers and sisters, ma'roof and munkar, we always hear about this, do we not? Amar bil ma'roof and nahiyan al-munkar, inviting towards good and forbidding from evil. You, the students of knowledge, you've heard this before, the ma'roof and munkar, what's the background of this word? Ma'roof, which means good, munkar, which means bad, where, does, where do these words stem from? Well, ma'roof comes from arafa, arafa is to know. Ma'roof means, in Urdu we say, ye ma'roof baat hai. What does that mean? Something which is known. Okay? And munkar, from ankarahu, meaning something which is disliked, something which is not known. Right, a person came in the guard, didn't recognize him. So who are you? Ankara is to not recognize. Munkar means not recognized. Ma'roof means known. Okay, so this is such a beautiful word that in a Muslim society, good deeds are well known. And in a good, ideal Muslim society, sins are just not known. People do stuff like that? I didn't know that. This is the first time I'm hearing something like that. So in a good Muslim society, evil and sins are unknown. They just don't happen. And that's a society, a clean society you see. It's like, what? A child out of wedlock? How is that possible? What's going on? Right? For, and, and your family, look at your family. Harun and your, your father was like this, your mother was like this. Because they didn't understand what munkar was. So when sins, if, if you say, if I tell you, and I always tell this to the youth and everyone else, that there's nothing you're going to tell me that's going to surprise me. You know, people say, we don't want to disappoint you, we don't want to shock you, we're scared to speak to the imam, etc. I said, there's nothing, you know, unfortunate. That's the reality of the condition of the ummah, that we've all heard it all. There isn't something there yet that is like, oh my God, I can't believe this. You know, that's why sometimes when people are scared to open up, I just mention, is it A, B, C, D, E, which one is it? And they're like, oh my God, what is this? Right? So, because it's one of these five things that are unfortunately the most common today. So that's how low the society has become, that sin has become rampant and well-known. While good deeds, simple sunnahs of the Prophet ﷺ, people say, Achha, that's a sunnah, a dua of Rasulullah ﷺ, how to enter the masjid, how to leave the masjid, how to get up in the morning, the duas of the morning and the evening, what happens at childbirth, what are the sunnahs of childbirth. Right? Tahnik, I was just mentioning this. Well, you know, subhanAllah, just simply, last week I talked about putting tahnik. Abdeke, something as common as that in the sunnah, a person had seven children. Seven children Allah had blessed him with, but subhanAllah, he had never, no one had taught him. No one had taught him that you're supposed to do tahnik when the child is born. Only at the eighth child, someone taught him, Alhamdulillah, he did it at the eighth child. Right? But that is something which is it's common. In previous times, this was very well known. You give the adhan, you give the iqama, you do the tahnik, you shave the head, you give sadaqah, you do the aqiqah, right? You give a good name. Etc. Those are common things. But the sunnah slowly are becoming unknown and sins are becoming extremely common. That's the scary part of it. So, uh, he, he's, so they said, how are we going to speak to him? Don't make, are you trying to you know, make fun of us? Interesting thing. They didn't say, how is he going to speak? That's possible. How are we going to speak to him? That's what they said. They were doubting themselves. They were doubting themselves and saying, how is it possible for us to speak to this, this one who is, who is fil mahd? What is mahd? Mahad is a cradle. Mahad is mahadahu tamhida. Mahad is to straighten up things, to prepare things. Okay? Uh, in Urdu, we, again, Urdu and Arabic have very common words. Tamhidi baat ek raktahume. What does tamhid mean? Tamhid means introductory talk. 
something, an introduction to something. What happens? It paves the path. Right? You need to speak to someone, you kind of have the icebreaker and you kind of set up the whole stage before you present your proposal. That's called tamheed. Alright? So, w- before you go to sleep, what do we do? We straighten up our bed, we make sure we're probably lying in a place where there's no uh, harmful objects, etc. So we prepare our bedding before we sleep so that we're not going to get harmed during the night. A child can't do that. Baby cannot do that. So that's why he's placed in a cradle. And that cradle is a place that has already been made for him to be able to sleep peacefully without getting harmed. And that's what's the same word, mahad. Mahad is that cradle in which a child sleeps in. You heard a very famous saying, Seek knowledge from the cradle to the grave. So lahad and mahad. Both of them are resting places. One for the baby and one for the dead person. Both of them are a resting place. So seeking of knowledge, it never stops. From the very beginning of our time in earth, on earth, all the way till the end. So, how were you? Qala inni Abdullah. So she said, let him do the talking. He says, okay, you're surprised of how, how this talking is going to happen. Um, let me speak up. And he himself started speaking. Inni Abdullah. I'm the servant of Allah. What happened over here? He basically said, do not, don't interrogate my mother. And don't sit there and wonder how you're going to speak to me. You don't have to speak to me. I'll do the talking. <laughs> I'll do the talking. You just listen. You just listen while I speak. Okay, the very first thing is that I'm the servant of Allah. So I know this is a miracle. And I know this is very weird. I'm born without a father. And then on top of that, I'm an infant and I'm speaking. But remember, never ascribe divinity towards me. Okay, the very first thing I'm going to tell you is that I'm a servant of Allah. That's the first statement he said. He cut the roots of shirk. He cut the roots of all those who are going to come afterwards and who are going to ascribe divinity to him. It's interesting that those who say that he was born in a miraculous manner and he was um, speaking in a cradle, hence he must be God. They do not look at what he said, but they're looking at the circumstances, but they're not looking at what he actually is saying. Isn't that interesting? Look at what the man is saying, what the child is saying, what this prophet is saying. He says the first thing he says, in Abdullah, to remove any and all possible uh, thoughts about his divinity. Number two, Atani al Kitab. He has given me the scripture. Wajalani Nabiya, and he has made me a prophet. Okay. Wajalani Mubarakan, and thus he has made me blessed. He's saying, I am the servant of God, and he has given me the scripture. He's a child, he's a baby, newborn. Did he already have the kitab? Does he already have the book? No, he doesn't. But he's basically laying out his future life. That Allah has already decreed for me to receive the book. Allah has already received, decreed for me to receive the Injil. So that is why he's using the past tense. In order to present to us the surety of what's going to happen. And وَجَعَلِنْ نَبِيَّ He has decided to make me a prophet. جَعَلَنِي Past tense. I, am not, I haven't been gifted prophethood yet, but he has already decreed for me. Anas uh, if I'm not mistaken, Anas radiallahu anhu, that has um, mentioned that he said that one of the salaf, that this ayah is Malik, sorry, Malik, Imam Malik rather. Imam Malik, he said, مَا أَشَدَّهَا عَلَىٰ أَهْلِ الْقَدْرِ How challenging and powerful this ayah is to refute the belief of those who do not believe in predestiny. This ayah is very powerful in refuting the belief that predestiny doesn't exist. 
If it didn't exist, what is it supposed to mean? He's speaking about her future. He says, the book has already been given to me, I've already been made a prophet, I've been made blessed, etc., etc. He's telling us, he's reading, the, he's reading the future based on what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has informed him as a young child that he speak. This is, your, this is how your life has been charted out. So we know things have been set for us. That's our belief. But we also believe in the aspect of Allah has given us a certain degree of free will. And to understand that simply, we just look at the free will that we use to apply for our, our, and to make effort to get into our favorite college. The free will that we use to get into the very best workplaces. The free will that we use on a daily basis to choose what we want to eat and the choicest of meals. Right? We do never think about predestiny. That I've been, I have been, it's been predestined to me, for me to eat soggy, you know, a french fries from two days old to, for today's dinner. That, you know, a person doesn't say that that's predestiny. You will try to find the freshest and the best meal. You'll find the very best of jobs. You'll find the very best of education. The effort you put into it, that's the same level of effort that we need to put in our, in our deen as well. Instead of using the excuse that something's been predestined. That is something that we don't know about. Like tomorrow, tomorrow what will happen? Allah already knows. When, where, who they will die is already written. But if you were to start thinking about what if I die tomorrow? What kind of life will you have? Very difficult life. Right? If every single step you're saying, if I step out today might be my last. If you always be thinking that, what if I might not make it? What if I might not make it? And you're going to become so perplexed about that, you won't be able to function. So what's, what's going to happen in the future has already been destined by Allah, but that's not what we're supposed to be focusing on. Focus on the moment that Allah has given me this chance to make the most of life. So Isa he is sharing his, the future based on what Allah has informed him, that these are the things that are going to happen. وَجَعْلَنِي مُبَارَكًا أَيْنَمَا And Allah Jalla Jalalu has made me blessed, right? Wherever I may be. Wherever I may be, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made me blessed. The word mubarak, right? What does that mean? Mubarak means blessed, right? And uh, in this case here, it means that Allah has made me not only a prophet and righteous person, but He has made me a conduit and a source of goodness. Made me a source of goodness. This is a point that I think we can all reflect on. Right? Are you Mubarak? That's the question. Am I Mubarak? Ask ourselves. Are you blessed? Okay, what does that mean if you're blessed? That wherever, we, wherever life takes us, you find yourself amongst relatives, you find yourself amongst co-workers, you find yourself amongst classmates. Ask yourself, do people wish to be with me? Or do they wish to be far away from me? Do people wish to stay away from me? Because they're afraid of the harm that will come from me? Or do people wish to sit in my company to be able to benefit from me? If we are Mubarak, then you know what the answer is. Ask ourselves that in my, uh, in, in, in my t- times of private, private times and in my times of being in the public, in the times of my travels and the time while at home, in the time of my weakness and the time of my strength, in all my situations, am I loving of the creation of Allah? And does the creation of Allah love me? If this is the case, then we are Mubarak. The people want our company. People tend to benefit from us. People are looking forward to meeting us. Whether we are at home or traveling, whether we are poor or rich, whether we are uh, in public or private, that we are always this beautiful source of energy and light. That's Mubarak. Right? A person you see, at times he is on the right path, as long as he is in madrasa. As long as he is in i'tikaf, 
as long as he is in the masjid, as long he's at home. And as soon as he travels, and as soon as he leaves his home, as soon as he leaves the four boundaries of the masjid or the madrasa, as soon as he leaves the boundary of home and heads out to college, or, 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 or travels to another country or whatnot, unfortunately he changes. He's not Mubarak then. A person is Mubarak as long as he's poor. As soon as he becomes wealthy, he loses his barakah. Meaning he is not helping anyone anymore. A person is Mubarak as long as he's weak. Once he becomes strong, he uses that strength to oppress people. He's not Mubarak. So what does Nabi Isa say? وَجَعَلَنِي مُبَارَكًا أَيْنَمَا كُنْتْ He has made me blessed wherever I may be. That's the way I'm going to lead my life. That no matter what situation Allah puts me in, I will always be a source of helping people. I will always be a source of benefit to people. Dear brothers, this is a really important point that we need to ask ourselves, where are we at right now? To what degree have we benefited people? And I think we're missing out on this opportunity. Sometimes, you're at a stoplight and you're lost. You roll down a window to ask for directions. And a guy will literally look at you and he'll look the other way. It's not. I don't, I don't care what you're asking for. On the other hand, you'll meet people. If you roll down, he says, you know what? Just follow me. I'll take you to that gas station. Subhanallah. That's called barakah. Right? You'll see a person that, you know, you're stuck in the snow. And your own neighbor or your own friend or whatnot will just pass by. Or you call someone and says, I don't have time. And a random person who's driving by will stop. He'll look at what you got. He said, let me go home and go get some shovels. Let me go home and let me go grab something. That's called Mubarak. That you're out there genuinely trying to help people. Even if it means a little bit of inconvenience. And may I share an amazing story on this. Last night, one of our uh, you know, graduates, he called me and he said, you know, he's studying for his MCATs. You know, you know how hard that, that is. People study for it. And he said, I said, how, how's your, how's your uh, exams going? And all of you, meds, you know, pre-med students listen to me attentively. Right? And he said that... Uh, he said things went amazing this week I said what did you do? He said I did something What I used to do When I was studying at Darussalam In the one year program I said what was that? He said I, you know, He's very worked up on his studying And he's very worried He wants to get a good grade MashaAllah ta'ala He said That I said That I am going to spend I have some classmates Who are struggling So I went to a few of them And I said you know what I'm going to dedicate Two hours every single day To help you guys I'm going to spend two hours for the sake of Allah. And he said, he took quoted the hadith of the Prophet Allah fi al-abd ma kan al-abdu fi Remember that? Allah will continue to serve, Allah will continue to help his servant as long as his servant continues to help his brother. Allah will continue to help his servant as long as the servant continues to help his brother. So he said, I remember that hadith and I said, what better way to get Allah's help in my MCAT preparation and the exam than by helping someone? So he said, I, I, gave time, I started giving two hours a day, eight to you know, ten or whatever, to help a few students who are struggling. And he said, by Allah, by Allah, everything has changed. He said, the level of faham and understanding that I'm getting of the material, the same material, same brain, has exponentially increased. And now on my practice test, I'm exponentially doing better. And he said, this reminds me of the days when I was studying here in the one-year program, that I would, you know, before exam or whatnot, people would see struggling, and I would sit down with them, and I say, okay, I know it's exam time, I gotta be worried about myself, but you know what, leave that. Allah is always gonna help me on my grades. Let me sit with you. And I would sit with certain weak students, and help review with them. 
And he said, I felt that's exactly what helped me then, and this is what's going to help me now, and it's helping me. I said, subhanAllah, this, you know, this refreshes the iman. This is so true. We have to have that belief. Another beautiful point for, again, our med students, you know, is that, he said, my goal of getting a near-perfect or perfect score in MCAT, he said, is the reality is that I'll get into medical school regardless whether I get a perfect score, a 95 percentile, 90 percentile, you know, what's a big deal? But he said, why do I want a, like a near-perfect or perfect score? Is for me to be able to, I see all the Muslims who are in medical school, and they're so worried, it's like the Qiyamah is coming. Right? They're so scared, so worried. Bichara, like they can't eat properly, they can't sleep properly, they're having nightmares. All those things, they're suffering because of the pressure. And he's like, I want to be able to seriously become a means of calming them. So I, I can't speak to them if I don't have my stuff. He said, I want to get an ace this so that I can sit with the other students you know, in the next few months, in the next years to say, listen, this is my score. Man, I didn't die like you. Relax. Let's study. But don't, make, don't become depressed. Don't resort to antidepressants. Don't resort to drugs. Don't resort to you know, you know, all sorts of other horrible you know, intoxicants and, and, and weed and what other things just to, just to stay awake to study. That's not worth it. What's the point in order to get into a medical school that you're going to commit all this haram? Allah is the one who controls your brain, created your brain, and will allow you to succeed. He said, but I want to be able to give da'wah with grades. He said, mashallah. He said, that's my intention. What a beautiful intention. So all of you who are listening to me, who are in that same predicament, Take these two, two words, two pieces of advice of his to heart. Wherever you are, whether in school or university or madrasa, etc., help people. Help people. Students, help others. And of course, that goes for all of us who are not even students. If you're going through a rough time, help someone. You're going through financial difficulty, help someone else. Give five dollars, it won't kill you. Give someone else five bucks, and you'll see how Allah's help will come. Right? You, yourself, or you're having a rough day, smile at someone. You don't feel like smiling, you feel like pouting and getting angry. But smile at someone to say, I want to make him happy because he looks sad. And I don't know what he's sad about. But let me bring happiness to him. And let me not rub off my negativity upon someone else. And through that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give me happiness. Right? That should be the mentality. That's the first thing. And number two, whatever you're doing to earn perfection in your grades or in your workplace to earn top-notch you know, points with your manager, etc. Do it for the sake of Allah. Do it for the sake of Islam. Don't do it for yourself. And you'll see with that change of intention how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put barakah. You want to be the top in your, you want to become the CEO, CFO. Well, go ahead for it, no problem. But make sure your intention is right. Make sure you say, I'm doing it for Islam. My dear friends, if today's CFOs and CEOs and all the other top heads of departments of, of the medical schools and medical departments were to do it for Islam, would the world be a different place? Go to any hospital, suburban hospital, downtown hospital, across the country, you'll see. You go see heads of departments. How many Muslim names you see? So many. So many Muslim names. But has that given any honor to Muslims? Are we all of a sudden regarded as the most trusted you know, group of physicians in the country that you say, we need to support them, we need to stand up for them, get rid of the Islamophobia, they're the ones who are saving the lives of millions? Unfortunately not. Because why? It's not being done in the name of Islam. It's not being done for Islam. It's done for their own stomach. It's done for their own ana, for their own ego, for their own selves. When you have that type of wrong intention, then you don't bring any benefit to Muslims or, the, or to the ummah or Islam itself. So go ahead, aim as high as you want. Try as hard as you want. But please change the intention. Make sure the intention is for Islam, for the deen, and you will see, you will have even more success at what you're trying to get at. But subhanAllah, that you'll have also the pleasure of Allah. And you will see that you'll be able to benefit the Muslim community and the Ummah itself, people will see the beauty that Islam has. So this is what is happening in, in this case of Barakah. He says, He's made me blessed wherever I may be. So we have to ask Allah to make, not only put Barakah in our wealth 
and our health and our time and, and our uh, you know, lives. But we also have to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us blessed. You get what I'm saying? Make us blessed. What did I say blessed means? That you become a source of good forever, for everyone. That's why one of the beautiful du'as is there. Uh, the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, he said, Tuba li'abdin ja'alahu Allahu miftahan lil khair li'ghlaqan lil-shar. The glad tidings be, glad tidings be to that servant of Allah who Allah has made him a key for the treasures of goodness and a lock for evil. That wherever he goes, he's opening doors of goodness. Every community he enters, every, you know, every place he goes, he brings in a change. MashaAllah, we're blessed in this community here to have maybe 50% or more of people who have moved from outside, from out of state, or definitely from other parts of the state, but definitely a lot from out of state, who are regulars here. And you see, they bring their talent. And these are individuals who wherever they go, they've moved through 10 states or 10 cities. But wherever they go, within months, MashaAllah, they're super duper active. Yeah, they, ha- they made a huge move, their kids are being adjusted, jobs are new, but that doesn't stop them from becoming an active participant in the masjid. Right? Taking on some sort of responsibility and doing great things. Because in their nature, they're Mubarak people. They, they don't need to be told. They just find a place to go fit themselves and start working. Right? That's the aspect of barakah. They don't wait to be asked, they don't wait to be told, they don't need to be begged, they don't need to be, you know, uh, they don't need to be massaged. They're, they feel like, okay, Alhamdulillah, there's an opportunity, let me fit myself in there. That's called Mubarak. That's what we all need to try to become. Miftahan lil khair, a key to opening the doors of goodness. Wherever you are, become a means of bringing khair. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Al mu'minu ma'lafun. The believer is a source of love. The believer, he is a place and a source of love. And there is no good in a person who doesn't love and who, does, who isn't loved. There is no good in an individual who doesn't love others and who people don't love him. Because why are people don't love you or me? It's because there's something wrong with us. You can say one or two people not like a person, but how can everyone not like a person? That means there's some problem with ourselves. Maybe our character, maybe the things we do, we turn off people. So the, what did the Prophet ﷺ say? A believer is a source of love. He brings love. Wherever he goes, people are attracted to him, and he brings attraction to each other. And there's no good in the one who doesn't love and who is not loved. One of the, one of the beautiful, comprehensive hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. Some, another opinion of Aynama Kunt, another opinion, he has, made me, he has made me blessed wherever it may be, is that this is referring to his return. Nabi Isa's return. When Allah will send him back into the world towards the end of times. Because why, are we, why am I saying this? Because we do not see, like the other prophets, they made migrations and hijrah. There's no hijrah that Isa did or that we are aware of. So what does it mean, Aynama kunt? Wherever I go, wherever I may be, I'm blessed. So the first answer I've been giving for the last many minutes is whichever situation I am in, whichever place I'm in, right? Whatever emotional state I'm in, whatever financial state I'm in, I'm always a source of goodness for others. And the second answer is, well, whether in this life, and right now, or thousands of years later when Allah decides to send me back. In both cases, I'm going to be blessed. And further, He has enjoined me to be ever observant of prayer. And to give the zakah as long as I am alive. Alright. So two things here, He says, awsa. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has enjoined me. Awsa and wasa, they come from the word wasiyah. 
Wasiyah, we use this in Urdu as well. What is wasiyat? A bequest, a will, right? What does a bequest and a will mean? Those are words a dying man says to his family. He doesn't say, hey, can I have some chocolate chip cookies, right? I mean, maybe that's his last meal, Allahu Alam. But you know, the wasiyah is stuff, every word counts. Every word counts. So you're going you're gonna to say in your last will, in your testimony, in your bequest, the most valuable things to you. Right? It's very important. And I know some people, they have written their, uh, you know, their last words and they've kept it in their wills. And they said, we want our children to read this you know, when we die. That's a very powerful thing to do, really. Whatever your most important lessons of life that unfortunately get lost in today's world, pen them, put them to paper. The most important khulas of your life, what you have learned, and what you would want your children and your progeny to take from you, put that into paper and keep that with your will. To be read after our demise. Because we don't know when we're going to die. It can happen very sudden. Right? We ask Allah protection from a sudden death, but we may not be prepared for it. So we need to, we need to have that prepared. Otherwise, you can say, I wish I had, a, I want to give one hour final bayan. You know? And I'm sure, my God, how many amazing things we probably would want to say to our children if we knew we had one hour left to go. So put that, think about that. And you know what's going to happen? Who's going to help that? That's going to help ourselves the most. That's going to help us think. Reality is, what is my priority in life? If you look at that speech that you wrote, what are the 10 points? Well, how much of it is related to the dunya? Beta acha kamao, acha piyo, acha kao. Is that what you're writing? Maybe you will. Right? Ask yourself. Why do you say by eat well, sleep well, dress well? You're not most most likely you won't say that. But then you say, but but that's what I'm doing right now. And how come what I'm writing is different from what I'm doing? This doesn't make sense. I want my children to follow after my death these things. I said this is the gist of my life. How come not following this own piece of advice myself? Are you following what I'm saying, brothers? Okay, why is that? Because these 10 points are hidden. They're like under loads of dunya in our brain, in our mind. They're, they're hidden all the way at the bottom. So you have to sift through it. And you have to pull it up to the top and write it. When you write it and you have it written in front of you, your kids can see it after you're, after you're gone. But you and I need to read it every day. And they say, these are my most important tenets of my faith, tenets of my life. These are the fundamentals of my life that I need to live by. Say about it, if I'm not living at it, what's the point? Why am I telling my kids to follow this if I don't live at it by myself? If I'm not acting upon this, like, then I need to change this. Either I'm wrong or this is wrong. Ask yourself, which one's wrong? I'm wrong or what I wrote is wrong? If I really believe in what I wrote, why am I not following that? So this is a very great exercise. May Allah make it easy for all of us to do that. Say, I mean, oh, great. How many of you are interested in doing this? Huh? MashaAllah. Okay, a few hands. Good, alhamdulillah. Even if you're young, write it. Trust me, it may Allah give all of us many, many decades of lives. But it would be so nice to have this documented, saved in your email or doc, doc. Five years later, you go look at that and say, okay, what has changed in five years? Do you still stand by those 10 points? Do you still stand by your values? Or have things changed? It's something to look at. I think it would be very interesting and beneficial for our own development, right? Our spiritual development to have something like that. Uh, so wasiya is a bequest. So awsani is awsa is that type of advice that you give with extreme of, of extreme importance. Awsa and wasa is advice that you give with ex, of extreme importance, similar to a wasiya. Now wasa when it's used, the verb form wasa, like wasa biha Ibrahim wa Yaqub and other places in the Quran, it's general advice of 
you know, deen. That's, that's how the Quran uses it. But when awsa is used on the scale of af'ala, then it's usually specific to money. Like, yusliikumullahu fi awladikum. Right, our dear Hafizahs know that the fourth para where all the mutashabihat are. Yusikumullah, the inheritance issue. Inheritance and how wealth is distributed. What word is used there? Yusikumullah. Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Awsani, also on the same scale. Why is it? Because zakat comes here. Zakat with money. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has enjoined me, strongly enjoined me to pray and to give zakat as long as I'm alive. Salah. Some scholars say that salah is a word that has been found in pre-Islamic era, and it's not specific to uh, the Ummah of Rasulullah but this word possibly was found in all the previous scriptures, and was the same word used for prayer by the previous prophets. Because salah was always there, although the, for, the method of performing salah was different. But there was salah in previous nations, in the previous Ummahs as well. <clears throat> Two commands, one is salah, one is zakah. And this is the gist of our deen. What is the gist of our deen? Salah and zakah. What is what is that kind of yani, come down to? It comes down to ittisalun bil khaliq wa ittisalun lil makhluk. Connection with Allah and connection with the creation. With salah we connect with Allah. With zakah we connect with the creation. That's it. That's the gist of our deen. You connect with Allah. You connect with the creation, and and you're successful. هذا هو الدين كله. Hence, salah and zakah are almost always mentioned together in the Qur'an, approximately in 70 different places. The word zakah, that comes in the meaning of, of uh, purity. Okay, him. The word tazkiyatun nafs comes from that same root word of purity, purifying the self. So why is zakah called zakah? Because it purifies your wealth. You're not only helping people, but that's not should your intention. My zakat will help you with something. No. My giving zakat will actually purify my wealth. Allah Azza wa says in the Quran, خُذْ مِنْ أَمْوَالِهِمْ صَدَقَةً تُطَهِّرُهُمْ وَتُزَكِّيهِمْ بِهَا Oh Muhammad Wasallam, take from their wealth. Allah is telling Muhammad Wasallam, take from their wealth. صَدَقَةً charity. Why should you take from them charity? تُطَهِّرُهُمْ بِهَا You will purify them through that. وَتُزَكِّيهِمْ And you will uh, cleanse their hearts. External and internal. Beauty of the heart and beauty and cleanliness of the wealth will come through charity. So this is one very deep understanding of the zakah. Allah Azza wa Jal also uses in the Qur'an, مَا زَكَا مِنْكُمْ مِنْ أَحَدٍ أَبَدًا وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهِ يُزَكِّ مَنْ يَشَاءُ and Allah says, وَمَا أَتِيتُمْ مِنْ رِبَلْ لِيَرْبُوَ فِي أَمْوَالِ النَّاسِ فَلَا يَرْبُوا عِنْدَ اللَّهُ وَمَا أَتِيتُمْ مِنْ زَكَاةٍ تُرِيدُونَ وَجَلَّ اللَّهُ فَلَيَكُمْ مُضْعِفُونَ The word riba. What is riba mean? Riba means to increase. Riba means to increase. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, whatever interest you indulge in, and you invest in interest, فَلَا يَرْبُوَ عِنْدَ اللَّهُ it will not increase in the, in the court of Allah. So the word riba itself means to increase. But Allah is negating it. That if you indulge in interest in riba, it will not increase. In the long run, you will suffer. There will be no barakah in it. Right? A person will suffer. Most definitely in the hereafter and in the grave. But also in this world, there will not be barakah in there. As long as I'm alive, what does that mean? Meaning till death, I have to perform salah and give zakah. Dear brothers and sisters, Salah is one of those commands that there is no way there's, we're ever excused from it. A person doesn't have water to make wudu, you do tayammum. 
A person is sick in the hospital, he cannot get water on his band-aid and his uh, cast or whatever. You do masah on the cast, masah on your band-aid, but wash the rest of the body. A person is in a state where he cannot wash anywhere, even the water is present, but he's so badly injured. In that case, he will do tayammum. A person cannot stand, he will sit down. A person cannot sit down, he will lie down. A person cannot do any of the postures, he will simply signal and he will ishara pray and then repeat it afterwards. But still, he will, he will not he will not just sit back and not pray. A person, what we call faqidu tuhurain, there is no water to do wudu, and there is absolutely no surface to make the yamuman. And he broke his wudu. And this is taking place for one week, one day, whatever. What should he do? He has absolutely no means to purify himself. Faqidu tuhurain, the one who has lost doesn't have any aspect of to do wudu or purity. Is he allowed to just not pray? He has to imitate the one who prays. Imitate. Go through the full actions, and then once you find water, or a surface to make tayyamum on, you repeat your salah. No day off. Even if a person has, but, what, but there's nothing here. Doesn't make a difference. Subhan, that's salah. You're in the battlefield. You have to pray. Guess what? You're in the battlefield, you should try to pray. Or what did Nabi Sallallahu do? Pray to pr- praying salah with jama'ah. Salah with jama'ah in an active battlefield. Yeah. So there's a whole method mentioned in Surah An-Nisa. In the fifth juz, how to perform salah in a, it's what we call salatul khawf. Right? How to perform salatul, salah with jama'ah in a battlefield. Right? All of this tartib, it's, it's amazing. That how they will, the, I mean, probably most of us have never even heard this. But how the army will line up, half of the army, the Imam will be praying because everyone wanted to pray behind Rasulullah only. So he said, okay, you stand here. And the, the, the ummah will take turns. One rakah you pray, and then you take your arms. Then the next will line up, come up front, pray one rakah, and then, th- then you take switch. In salah, in the middle of salah, you're taking shifts. Can you imagine that? It's mind-boggling. In the middle of salah, you're in the midst of the battlefield. Not like you're sitting in, in the barracks and there's a, your reinforcements. No, you're in active fighting. And you want to pray jama'ah, I'll tell you how to do it. The Qur'an is saying, the Qur'an describes the complete method of how to perform salah with jama'ah in an active battlefield. When you're being shelled. What did the Prophet ﷺ say? Do not leave the sunnah of fajr. Even if you are thrown off and trampled over the horse, by the horses in the battlefield. You're in a battle, you're in an expedition. Make sure you pray your sunnah of fajr. No matter what happens. That's what the hadith is saying. So for the smallest of excuses, how can a person neglect prayer? That's why we've been told there is absolutely no place in Islam for a person who doesn't have salah in his life. There is no place. Out. The position of salah in, the, in Islam is like the position of the head. So in a time where there's a lot of activism, calls towards activism, calls towards community service, calls towards serving in the masjid, serving towards you know, this and that, various things, many times we neglect prayer. We neglect salah. So how does that make us any... We're like the rest then. If you're running a political campaign, you're running any sort, there better be salah in it. You can't just hand out flyers and put on billboards. No. If salah is not part of your strategy, you're not going to win. Well, you're not going to win in the court of Allah. You may win 
just because you have more flyers or you did a more you know, marketing on, on news, whatnot. But what, what do I mean by that? Then you have to outspend everyone else and you have to outdo everyone else. This is a key point. Listen to what I'm saying here. That as Muslims, we have a, an edge to succeed. But that edge will be there as long as we are connected through a'mal, through, through salah, through sadaqah, through dua. And through, of course, our faith. Really strong faith. If we lose that faith, or if we distant from that faith, then we're on the level playing ground with the rest. Then the mightier will win. The wealthier will win. The more connected will win. Don't try to pull out, oh, I'm the Muslim, where are you? No, it doesn't work like that. If you, if you expect Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to show you a favor, then you have to be consistent in your prayer and your amal. Then you can expect the unthinkable to happen. You can expect miracles to happen. You can expect, you know, a completely, what you call, shocking results. All of a sudden, unprepared, unexpected things will happen. Yeah, that can happen. That will happen, inshallah. But you have to do something first. You have to be connected with Allah first. Today's ummah doesn't do that. They want to leave salah a'mal out of the equation. Right? I have shared this advice with certain people you know, who, are, who are running some certain sort of campaigns. And I said, wait, whatever campaign you're running, a masjid campaign or a, you know, a political campaign, you need to bring dhikr and amal part of that campaign. Otherwise, you know, you're like the rest of the people. Whoever has more money, whoever has got, who can ever can scream louder and yell louder will win, will win it. Can you? You have that? I don't think so. So if you don't, then you better resort to salah and dhikr and dua and amal along with everything else that we're doing. So salah is something we need to keep on reminding ourselves. Every time shaitan comes and tells us, it's okay, you'll make it up afterwards. You know, my dear brothers, it's, it's, it's a lifestyle change. You have to make a lifestyle change. It has to come in the mind. Okay, I am a musalli. That's it. This is, who, this is who I am. I pray. I pray all the time. There's no you know, day on, day off. We don't do work like that. Because as soon as we miss one prayer, and we think it's okay, that's our gateway towards hell. Today after Maghrib, beautiful khatira. Student shared, mashallah, and uh, he mentioned the fact that how for a for a for a for a Muslim for a mu'min a sin. I mean, quoting the various hadith he shared that for a believer a sin is like he is under a mountain he fears that will f- collapse and fall upon him. That's what a sin is. Like a, you're scared of an avalanche will come and destroy you. You committed a sin. You missed something. You're like, Ya Allah, how am I going to handle this? And for a disbelief or hypocrite, fajr, munafiq. Sin is like a fly that will run by you, sit on your nose for a little bit, move on. Parwaini, nothing. What's a, what's a big deal of a, of a fly coming and sitting on your nose and moving on? No big deal. So if missing prayer does not stop your, in your day, in your week, doesn't ruin your day for you, doesn't ruin your week for you, doesn't make you feel really guilty and upset, then that's a very sad thing. What did the Prophet ﷺ say? A person who misses his salah, it's as though It's as though he has completely lost All of his wealth and all of his children It's like you come back home from a business trip May Allah never allow this to happen to any one of us And you come to Someone comes, person comes to his house Takes an Uber, gets home And all he sees is ashes Nothing The entire home is demolished Done, destroyed This is, may seem very you know, outlandish in our country but this is a regular happening overseas in the Muslim countries and other places. That you come back home and the artillery fire has finished it. A drone has f- destroyed it. A missile has destroyed it. And literally, you went to go get bread, you come back, it's gone. That happens. Every day it's happening. Multiple times. So, how would a person feel that time? How would you feel? You come and stand and there's nothing left. 
That is the position of one who misses one prayer. You say, but I don't feel like that. Yeah, if you only knew, and if I only knew what punishment awaits us for every one prayer we have missed, then that's exactly how you would feel. The reason we don't feel like it is because we don't know what, what we're dealing with. We think it's, it's, you know, it's fine. It's acceptable, whatever. Dear friends, you know, if, this, if this comes into our life, and no matter what type of situation you're in, and I, I, I mean this, no matter how many sins we're involved in, no matter what type of sins we're involved in, if we never give up our five times daily salah, sooner or later, we'll get out of that mess. There was a person who was stealing, right? Or was committing a major sin during the time of the Prophet ﷺ. But the Prophet ﷺ said, stealing or zina, whatever it was at that time, the Prophet ﷺ told him that leave him, his prayer will stop him. Leave him his prayer. Sooner or later, this man will stop. His salah will eventually stop him. And the Quran says that in munkar. Indeed, salah prohibits a person from committing acts of lewdness and general sins. Fahsha wal munkar, munkar, right? Bad things. Fahsha means lewdness. So all of those, all of, all those people who are involved in acts of sin, lewdness of any sort or any other sin, my advice to myself and everyone. No, don't, allow to, don't allow shaitan to make you despondent. Just please be punctual on your five times daily salah, on time. If we start missing on that, then that's scary. Because, you know, then what? For some may be listening to me and say, but I already missed on that. Where do I start? We'll start from tonight. If you haven't prayed Isha, pray Isha. And if you weren't planning to get up for Fajr, go to sleep early. It all starts with that. How much can you sleep, man? How much can you sleep? You can't sleep more than nine hours every night. It doesn't work like that. If you sleep early at 10, 11 o'clock, you're going to be up for Fajr. You are going to be up. It's a, it's a state of mind. Ask yourselves. For those who are not praying Fajr, I want to ask you how, you know, if there's anyone, maybe who will listen to this afterwards, you know, I'm speaking to them, that have you, how many times have we gone to bed literally saying, I better, I, I'm sleepy with the niyyah that I have to get up for Fajr. Like, we go to sleep every night saying that I have to show up to college tomorrow. Virtually or on site, whatever. I have to go to work tomorrow. That's in the back of our mind. Oh, but look at the time, man. I'm so tired. I'm going to go to office tomorrow. I got an 8 a.m. 8 meeting. It's on our head. It's on our mind. We never sleep without thinking about that. So are we thinking about Fajr when we go to sleep? And if we're not, that's where the problem lies. When, unless and until we don't make Fajr a priority in our life, why would Allah, make us, why would Allah wake us up for Fajr? The ball is in our court. Salat al-Fajr with jama'ah should be something that all the men here should be aspiring. That should be your goal. People say, I want to do this and do that. Make that goal, man. Make that your goal. If you live 10 minutes, under 10 minutes from the masjid, make this our goal. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sooner or later will give that to us. And even if, guess what? It doesn't happen. You'll still get the reward for it. If every single day you say, this is my goal, and you put your alarms, and you tell your family member to wake you up, and you tell a friend to call you, and you make carpool arrangements, all of these things I'm telling you. And you sleep early, of course. And on top of that, you're not able to make it. You'll still get the reward. And on top of that, Allah forbid, you fell through all, sleep through all this, and, you've all, and you woke up after sunrise. You still won't get sin, inshallah. Because you did everything possible. And somehow, and this is not going to happen daily, obviously. If it's happening daily, then that means you do something wrong. Right? There's something wrong. <laughs> that your arrangements are not seem to be working. You need to get a higher decibel alarm. Right? Or you need to uh, sleep earlier, or you need to sleep on the floor. MashaAllah, I know certain students who say that, you know, uh, beautiful. They say they, they go to sleep every night drinking multiple glasses of water simply to be able to wake up for tahajjud because they'll have to go to the bathroom. 
Other students who I know who sleep on the on uh, who refuse to sleep on the bed, sleep on the wooden floor or sleep on a carpeted floor because they said we want to make sure we we're up on time in the morning for tahajjud or fajr. Nabi Salam, he got upset. He got upset at his wife who he's, uh, he who who had made his very thin concrete rock floor con- floor hard pebbled floor. He has a a a, a small leather mat, and all was done was that one day it was doubled. Simple mat was doubled. And he got upset. He said, who did this? I mean, we, I bet you none of us would be able to fall asleep at night if we had this type of mat. It reminds you, if those of you gone for hajj and you had a small uh, musalla and you were trying to sleep in Muzdalifah, remember that, okay? How was that? With all the pebbles sticking at you and you're turning from side to side like, yaar kya ho gaya, what am I doing? And put it up, parishan, you're sorry. All of you guys know what I'm speaking about. Right? That one night, you can never forget a Muzdalifah. That's Nabi Sallallahu a daily night. That's how it is. That sticky hot air, right? You're looking up at the sky. And you can, you, sometimes it's the humidity Sometimes it's the pebbles underneath you You know, sometimes it's the noise of, of animals Whatever it is, that does not, that's, the, that's the Sahaba's life That's the Nabi Sallallahu life So in that thin leather mat was just doubled That means nothing for us, for our bodies But Nabi Sallallahu got upset He said, why are you doing this? You're trying to make it difficult for me to wake up in the morning So we, these are the extreme measures we call it extreme, but if you had a flight to catch tomorrow morning, if you had your MCAT exam at 8 a.m., what would you do? Right? That's Wallahi Al-Azim, our salah, Fajr salah is more important than every exam, than every flight, than every job interview. And until we don't believe that, we're not going to be a true Muslim. That's a belief that has to come. So it starts by creating this fikr within us. You have to sleep with fikr. You have to sleep with fikr and concern, worry that I better wake up for Fajr, I'm going to be in big trouble. And that's what's going to stop our parties. Now we don't have that many parties I know in COVID era. But that's what's going to stop you know, uh, people to, on Saturday night sleeping at 1 a.m. That's what's going to stop you to be on your you know, game or video game or, or phone at 12, 12 o'clock. What will be? The fikr of your fajr. So find me one person who makes this fikr, yet he doesn't wake up. Find me one person who makes this fikr, who's worried about his fajr, yet he sleeps through it. It's not going to happen. If you're worried about your fajr salah and you're worried about your dhuhr salah, I promise you, you, Allah will take care of all of these things. And I have seen amazing stories I can share with you of people who, have, who had fikr for their prayer before, before they book their flight. It's always about salah. What ta- I, don't, I, gotta miss, I can't pray, my, I cannot miss my salah. Before they book their surgery. A physician booking his surgeries, a patient booking his surgery. Always making sure that it's around, making sure that my salah doesn't come in between. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deals with them in that special manner. That they never ever have to end up missing it. It's amazing. This is a gift of Allah to the people who care about their prayers. Dear students, dear elders, this is what our deen is. This is what makes us special. This is our one-on-one amazing relationship with Allah. If we got this, we've conquered the world. And for the youth, I remind you of something that I've told, I've shared countless times, Mulana Choksi's statement. He said, you know, 20 years ago, if you do two things, you become a friend of Allah. If you do two things, you'll be a wali of Allah. First thing is, perform your five times daily salah on time. And second thing is stay away from haram. You stay away from haram, you pray five times daily salah, you are a friend of Allah. Done. Right? You will get your needs fulfilled of this world and the next. We all have to do that. We have no question, no, no, no possibility of playing around with these two things. We have to pray our salah on time and we have to stay away from sin. How long? Madum tuhayya, as long as I'm alive. Nabi Wasallam, as he's passing away, you all know this. What did Nabi Wasallam say at the end? Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi as he was dying, what is his last, one of his final words? Hold on to your prayer, hold on to your prayer, and take care of your subordinates. Take care of your subordinates. That's what pretty much this is. 
take care of your relationship with Allah with through salah, take care of the crea- relationship with your with the creation through zakah. And so Nabi Sallallahu in his final moments as well. What did, how did Nabi Sallallahu go to his salah? Do you know that? Yatahada bayna rajulain. The Prophet Sallallahu is so sick. But he didn't, he didn't miss his jama'ah. He's, put, he's putting his hands around the shoulders of two companions and they're literally dragging him. His feet are dragging on the floor as he goes for salah. And the exact same thing happened with Umar radiallahu anhu. You know, as he was stabbed with the, with the arrow, with the spear in Fajr salah. And blood is gushing out. And, and, and he loses conscious. While he's praying Fajr, we all know that. He got stabbed while leading Fajr salah. And as soon as he gains conscious, what does he ask? The first thing is what happened to Fajr? What happened to the Fajr Salah? Did someone else take over and lead? Or what happened? What's going on? That's the first thing he asks. Second thing is, who did it? Was it a Muslim or a non-Muslim? And when he was told it was a Zoroastrian slave, he said, Alhamdulillah, that Allah has not used, you know, a Muslim didn't become a means of killing me. Because that would have been a big door of fitna opening up. Unfortunately, that you know, happened later on. So Umar radiallahu anhu, even in that case, the few hours that he had to live before he died from that, a day or two, even in that he was, he said, dragged me to the prayer. That was, you remember I told you Maruf and Munkar, the Maruf, the coming to prayer was such a standard during the time of Medina of Rasulullah that even a person who was a non-Muslim and who was the worst non-Muslim, what is the worst non-Muslim? A hypocrite. Because he's not even saying, oh, you know what, I'm sorry, I choose not to believe what you believe in. You know, let me go and you, you, you mind your business. I mind. Okay, fine. He's a hypocrite. He's a mole. He's a spy. He sits there and he says, No, I want to benefit from what you all are benefiting from. I want to get the spoils of what I want to do all this. But deep down, I don't believe any of this. I think this is, this is all fake. That's what the Quran says Indeed, the hypocrites are going to be in the lowest layers of the hellfire, lowest level of hellfire. The hadith, the famous hadith that you and I know of, that even the hypocrite, nifaq whose hypocrisy was pretty well known, would still strive to cover up his hypocrisy by making sure he was there for at least Fajr and Isha in the masjid. Because if he didn't show up for Fajr and Isha, it's like, come on, come on, like who are you kidding, man? Like seriously, you're gonna tell me your name is Muhammad? You're gonna tell me your name is you know, Isa? You're gonna tell me that I'm gonna get deceived by your kufi? And you're gonna act like, you know, what, you're a Muslim? Please. That's how it was. His cover will be blown. So coming to Fajr and Isha to the masjid was just such a mandatory thing that if you didn't, everyone pretty much know you're not a, you're not a Muslim. You're not, and then you're, long, you're no longer a munafiq, you're a kafir. But we want to stay munafiq because we want to keep our cover. So then you have to be there for Fajr and Isha. That was the environment of Medina. Where are we today? Right? We have to, in this, in this, you know, in this era, post-COVID era, we need to reset ourselves. Today I just heard Texas remove the ban on, the, the man, mandatory law on, on masks, right? Whatever, right? My point is, people are eventually just going to say, oh, we got to move on. I'm not saying, we all are wearing masks here, in, in the community, as you are listening here, and you have to continue doing that until whatever things happen. But that should not be an excuse for us not to come for salah. That's what it is. And if we don't do that, what's gonna, my, my, my fear, my real fear, is what's going to happen to all these masjids within the next 40, 50 years? Don't you think about that? Look at how many churches we have as masjids right now in the country. Right? Were they built for Muslims? You think 150 years ago, they said, oh, there'll be a group of Muslims coming from India, let's build it for them. Right? And they like to give adhan, let's try to make the, make, make the, make the church facing the qibla, etc. Which some of them are, mashallah. <laughs> that, was, that was not the point. They never imagined that la ilaha illallah will be called from the, you know, from, from the member of this, of this uh, what you call churches. Hey, something went wrong. 
they weren't able to take care of the youth and they moved on and today we're celebrating the purchases of so many churches all over but why don't we learn the lesson from them that if we don't take care of our generations and if the youth today the 18 year old the 15 year old is not coming to the masjid what makes you think in 20 years is going to come we will have lost it majority of musallis and majority of the masjids are who? are foreign born people isn't that right? go to any masjid how many people the people who look at fajr the people who are there for fajr the people who are there for isha who are they? Who are they? Majority of them, I'm not saying everywhere, but the ones I visit, or have visited, vast majority of them are foreign-born in Muslim countries. That's very, you know, unsettling. For every foreign-born person, he's got at least probably two to four children who are American-born. Where are they? So the num- it's not like, oh, there's a lot more foreign-born people here. No, they're not. The number of born, American-born Muslims are obviously much larger. Huge amount. And their children are huge amount. Why are they not coming to the masjid? Because they never got accustomed to it from the get-go. So if that doesn't happen, what's going to happen? And mashallah, there's some students over here who, who never ever ever miss a salah, ever in the salah with jama'ah. And I asked them, and like, you know what? All praise and thanks goes to Allah and our parents. That's how we were raised. From a childhood, no matter what it was, straight our dad would always bring us to the masjid. And this is something we just, we just got, it's a habit. We can't pray outside the masjid. It just doesn't work. So no matter what it is, no matter if it's you know, 10, minus 10 degrees outside, they will walk, literally walk through the snow to be here, even if they don't have a car. Literally, you'll see people in nice warm cars coming from garages won't be here. But these students will walk through the snow because they don't know what it means to pray at home. They just don't know. They've been, they've never, they, that was never introduced to them. May Allah bless their parents. May Allah reward their parents. And may Allah make us such parents. Say Ameen. May Allah make us such parents, really, who understand the importance of Salah. And what will happen to you, my dear students, my dear brothers and, and elders, and mothers, make it a point for your kids. Everyone say, Mere bete ke liye dua karo. Mere bete ke liye dua karo. Make so, bhai, may, send him to the masjid, your duas will be taken care of. If you don't wake him up and force him to go to the masjid when he's young, what's gonna happen? I'm serious, all you mothers are listening there. And the wives are listening there. Send your husbands to the masjid. Send your husbands to the masjid. Send your sons to the masjid. And say, no, we're gonna have dinner before or after. At the time of, uh, no, I'm sorry, we're not sitting for dinner right now. It's 8 o'clock. It's 7.50. You gotta go to the masjid. We don't eat now. We're gonna eat before this or after that. Right now, we're not serving dinner. Dinner closed. You know in the haram, you know, namaz time, the restaurant is closed. That's what's gonna happen. The kitchen's gotta close at home during namaz time. Whatever else there's there. The TV obviously should be shut. Whatever chores, off duty. Salah, salah. Put a little, you know, marker there, or whatever you call the caution tape, band. You know, namaz ke baad, kulega bhai, namaz ke baad. It's gonna open after namaz. Who plays a role in this? Our mothers and sisters. Huge role. So I, that's why this talk is as important for you as it is for the brothers. That you are the catalyst to push the men to the masjid. If you put your foot down and to say, this is how we're gonna roll in this house, your sons will listen to you. But the thing is, there's no pressure. There's no encouragement. I'm not saying resort to screaming and yelling. Encar- where is the encouragement? Where does it say, okay, this is, how, this is how it is. Better, finish. Everything else can stay later on. I need you to go to the masjid now. Ask yourself, when is the last time you put your foot down and said that? It doesn't happen. We know that. That's why their masjids are suffering. So you ask yourself, what's going to happen to these masajid in the next two decades? Three decades? Who's going to run? Forget about financial. Forget the finance part. We're not worried about that. Who is going to pray in it? Why will they not become like the rest of the churches? So that the aspect of sending people to the masjid and populating it, it needs to restart. So I, 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 I highly encourage and push all of us to make these niyyah to start coming. 
You think in Ramadan something will just switch on all of a sudden be easy? No, it's not gonna happen. This, look at Ramadan. There were four people in this place, three people in this masjid right here for Ramadan. Tarawi, myself, and two boys. You know, we performed in a small, teeny, tiny little office over there in the back. It was very tough, to say the least, right? But that's that test from Allah can happen anytime if you don't value the masjid. Allah instantaneously can close it, and then what's gonna happen? You know, we won't even if we want to come, we won't be able to come. The, the gates will be closed. So Ramadan is only 50, you know, 40, 44 days, 43 days away. If you want to be regular in Ramadan, start from now. Make Fajr and Isha, you know, or Dhuhr, Asr, whatever prayers you can. Make it a point to be able to pray in the masjid. And madum tahiyyat till the end. Do it for yourself, do it for your kids. I promise you, dear brothers and dear mothers, if you want pious, righteous, successful children, make them namazi. Make them namazi. You have nothing to worry about. Wallahi al-azim. You're set. Your son will choose the right daughter. You know, right daughter-in-law. Your son will choose the right wife. Your, da- your wife, your daughter will choose the right husband. Your son and daughter, once they get married, will choose the right career. They will choose the right way to raise their children. They will choose everything right. Wallahi, if they, you make them paband and regular with salah with jama'ah. And for the sisters, for the girls, making them salah at home, but on time. On time. Nicely. You know, not just on the go, up and down, kiss the ground type of salah. But properly. If we as moms and dads, the problem is on us. We as dads and moms, as fathers and mothers, we have done a horrible job of instilling this. We do it when they're little kids. Chalo, chalo, ajo, ajo. But what happens after that? Right, chalo, namaz You know, pray namaz afterwards. This is important. They're seeing that. So with our own actions, we are belittling, belittling the place and position of salah. Then what do you expect besides having disobedient kids? If we don't make them, I said this before, don't worry about making them obedient to yourself. Make them worry about obedience to Allah, Allah will make them obedient to you. Allahu Akbar. This is the reality. I swear by Allah. Make your children obedient to Him, He will ensure that they're obedient to you. I swear. He has a complete power with the kun fayakun, they will never disobey you. But you gotta make an effort to make them obedient to Him. Do that. And the rest Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take care. How can we make them obedient without sending them for salah? So we ask Almighty Allah Azza wa Jal to enable all of us here to be connected with salah and zakah till the end of our lives. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us blessed wherever we may be. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us the ability uh, to be a source of khayr and goodness uh, with everyone. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He grants us haya, a life of haya and modesty. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us the students of the Qur'an for the rest of our life. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us barakah in the time between now and Ramadan and allow us to witness the month of Ramadan in the, in the most best possible manner. Um, we have alhamdulillah, uh, you know, two good news I mentioned after Isha yesterday. Uh, one was the fact that, mashallah, the uncle where we've been making dua for our local community member, Dr. Abdul Hadi, alhamdulillah, he's back at home, alhamdulillah, with all everyone's dua. And, uh, and also one of the students was very sick, uh, Barakatullah from New York, alhamdulillah, he's back at home. So this is a great ni'mah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. At the same time, I have some dua requests. One of them is uh, for Iqbal Fatima. Uh, she's been fighting leukemia for years and is gone and returned a couple of times. But right now she's having water in her lungs and low oxygen levels. And they're saying that her oxygen level needs to get better in order for us to remove the remainder of the water from her lungs. So we ask uh, everyone to make dua for this sister. Similarly, um, we have one of our uh, brothers from the, uh, from the Atlanta area whose two uh, sons are imams out there in the community and muftis and ulama. 
um, uh, he has, unfortunately, their father, Masood Jafri, the Jafri brothers, those of you who are from Atlanta know them, they're graduates of the Buffalo Madrasa, mashallah, doing great work out in Atlanta. So their father, uh, after battling COVID for six weeks, he passed away today, Masood Jafri, rahimahullah, rahimahullah, well, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive him and grant him jannah for those and grant his family patience and his son's patience and, and all of those uh, who he left behind. Similarly, we have uh, also a dua request from one of our teachers, uh, Mawlana Yusuf Ghoth here, whose parents have been battling cancer for over a year and now his father's state is actually, you know, quite critical. So we're asking everyone, inshallah, subhanahu wa ta'ala to make dua for his both parents that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala miraculously give them shifa, give them strength, remove their pain and, and suffering and give sabr to the entire family. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Allahumma salli wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala Ali Sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa sallam. اللهم انتصر سلامك سلامة بارك يا ذا الجلال والكرام اللهم عنا على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن بعثك اللهم أنا من المعطيت ولا معطيت ما منعت ولا رد لما قضيت ولا ينفع ذا الجد منك الجد رب يغفر ورحم وتجاوز ما تعلم إنك أنت العزيز الأكرم اللهم إن نصرك التقوى والتقى والعفاف والغنى اللهم صلِّ وسلِّم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلِّم اللهم شفينا وشفي مرضانا مرضى المسلمين اللهم شفيهم شفاء كاملا دائما عاجل مستمرا نسأل الله العظيم رب العرش العظيم إن شفي مرضانا مرضى المسلمين نسأل الله العظيم رب العرش العظيم إن شفي مرضانا مرضى المسلمين نسأل الله العظيم رب العرش العظيم يشفي مرضانا ومرضى المسلمين نسأل الله العظيم رب العرش العظيم يشفي مرضانا ومرضى المسلمين نسأل الله العظيم رب العرش العظيم يشفي مرضانا ومرضى المسلمين نسأل الله العظيم رب العرش العظيم يشفي مرضانا ومرضى المسلمين اللهم اغفر لحينا وميتنا وشاهدنا وغائبنا وصغيرنا وكبيرنا وذاكرنا وانثانا اللهم نحيث منا فحي على الإسلام ومن توفيته منا فتوفوا على الإيمان اللهم اغفر لهم وارحمهم وعفو عنهم وادخل من الجنة اللهم نقي من الذنوب كما ينقى الثوب الأبيض من الدنس اللهم اجعل قبرهم روضة من رياض الجنة ولا تجعل حفرة من حفر النار اللهم لا تحرمنا أجرهم ولا تفتنا بعدهم وأبدلهم دارا خيرا من داري وأهلا خيرا من أهلي اللهم تقبل حسناتهم وتجاوز عن سيئاتهم سبحان ربك رب العزة يما صفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين A reminder to everyone here and those who are listening online next Saturday inshallah will be the grand opening of the seminary and our annual fundraiser there's limited seating available please go ahead if you haven't already purchase your $25 ticket online a dinner, box dinner, box appetizer will also be provided and it's open to the entire community the program starts around 5pm Insha'Allah, that's next Saturday. Please uh, purchase your ticket on the kiosks in the back or online. Insha'Allah, as there is, there is limited seating. Zakum Allah khairah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.